0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the second episode of Big Bright Dark, where we explore what it means to make our way and make meaning on a changing planet. My name is Olive Dempsey, and I'm so glad to be here with all of you. A lot of people have asked us if this show is for activists and i haven't really known what to say when i get asked that question because of course it's for activists and also we want it to be uh for all of us whether or not we feel like this is a word that um works for us so it's for people who feel like the world would be better served if we went in a different direction but does this make all of us activists i don't know because to be honest, some of us will feel great being associated with this word, and some of us will wanna pull it off like an inexplicably itchy wool sweater. Maybe it's something that we think we should like, but we just can't get comfortable in. Whatever your feelings are about the word, this idea of activism has certainly gotten a lot of press lately. Um, The Women's March, Trump's election, and all those calls to action in Teen Vogue magazine, Um, And lots of other examples show us that activism is having kind of a mainstream heyday, or you might call it a kind of fashionable comeback. So we thought we'd talk to someone about what this word and what the life of an activist can mean. And before you itchy sweater people hit the pause button and switch to an episode of Radiolab or something like that, let me say that this episode is also not at all about activism. It's kind of an audio advice column or a six-step program for a wiser life, relevant to those of us who cringe at the word activist or uh, to those of us who wear that identity with pride. Before we get started, let me say a big thank you to all of you who shared our first episode and the bees were calling me through social media and other means, and especially to those of you who reached out with feedback and ideas. If you didn't catch that first episode, you can find it on Stitcher and iTunes and on our website, bigbrightdark.org. That's also where you can get in touch with us with episode ideas or questions or comments. And now we bring you six lessons from activism that have nothing to do with activism unless you want them to, in which case, they're probably pretty relevant.
1: When I was a girl, when I was very young, because I had these two incredible women out in front of me, my mother and my grandmother, I lived this kind of joyous childhood because from my vantage point, I thought, wow, these are two of the most powerful women alive and they're going to have the whole situation cleaned up. So when I get to be an adult, wow, it's going to be this beautiful, peaceful, joyous world. This
0: is Pia Massey. And if any kid had a reason to believe the adults were going to fix the world, it might have been her. Her paternal grandmother started her activism when she was fighting for women's rights to vote in the U.S. And she continued to advocate for civil rights and democracy until she was in her early 90s. Her mother, Kate Massey, was best known as an outspoken peace activist and leader with the anti-nuclear advocacy group Women's Strike for Peace. She was the kind of figure you can find in old newspaper clippings, holding a stack of petition signatures on her way to Geneva, while sharing the stage with Coretta Scott King. And Pia believes her mother's activism was born in many ways out of her experience living in Tokyo during the Second World War, when the US dropped nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And she thinks also out of her own family's experience of Japanese internment in the US and Canada. But Pia also tells us that she thinks her mother's activism was born out of that unknowable place that propels each of us, a place that maybe we can never really understand as much as we might try to. And all of this might seem like an impressive lineage, but Pia says that she still feels like a child, like someone with so much to learn. Well, we think that she's learned a lot already and we're thrilled to share her wisdom with you. We've organized it into six lessons. Lesson one, gather, acknowledge, and be among your people. I'll admit that it's tempting to feel misanthropic sometimes about this world. It's tempting to feel like people are the problem, or human nature is the problem, maybe, or that I'm alone in the depth of my caring. But Pia sees it differently. At every turn, in fact, she talks about people and the joy and motivation that they bring.
1: There's millions of people around the world working on these issues now. Millions. But we're all so busy and struggling that it's very hard for us to look up and see like above the wave to see that actually this is the moment in human history where more people are actively engaged in trying to shift human consciousness towards a kind of empathy than ever before. I mean, just, just the language has, is changing. I mean, just in the last few days. Look at the millions of people that have turned out to demonstrate <laughs> against <clears throat> our new situation in the United States. It's really astonishing. The thing that makes us feel crippled or lonely or detached is when we we can't connect, when we don't know what it is, when we feel like there's nobody else there, there's nobody willing to like come if you call in the darkness if you spend your days around people that inspire you from you know lovely ancient elders who are you know making their own rope out of the barks of trees to young kids that are staging dions in front of a bank i'm like wow this is just such a big thrill that i get to walk among these people
0: Lesson two, let yourself love what you love and let this love move you to action.
1: I think activism is really about connecting people to what they love. So when people get clear about what it is they love, then that throws open the door and they can walk in to that space, which is about the connectedness the interconnectedness of all of all living things. I really feel like each person finds what's meaningful for them. And then it's like the door, you know, like whatever the door is into that place of connectedness. There was this great piece of footage I saw on Democracy Now! Amy Goodman, bless her heart, was out there filming. And she went up to this woman who had just been pepper sprayed who was like having her eyes flushed out and she, she said, (laughs) you know, she was struggling to be able to see and breathe and stuff. And then as soon as she got her eyes cleaned out, Amy Goodman said to her, how do you feel? And she threw her head back and she laughed and she said, I feel so fantastic. And she like roared out her name and roared out where she came from. And it's kind of those moments where you just realize like, wow, I'm so much more deeply alive, like I'm so standing in the stream of my own being and the own meaning that I make of my life when I'm ready to stand up for what I love.
0: Lesson three, be cranky, confused, and contradictory or be an imperfect human and enjoy the freedom of not taking yourself too seriously. When Pia asked her grandmother to list all the organizations she had started or been a part of in her lifetime, the list extended, line by line, over a page and a half of legal-sized paper. Molly Todd had a closet full of awards and plaques of recognition for her civil rights work, her advocacy for women's rights, and democracy. But she didn't display any of them. When her papers were donated to the University of Tennessee, the archivist found a napkin with one side covered in notes for a speech to the NAACP and the other a to-do list for a different organization altogether.
1: There's a big difference for me in looking at the activism of my mother, who died young, um, for many reasons, not just because of the way she did her activism, and my grandmother, who lived till 96 and started over 70 organizations in the United States. I mean, just unflappable, unexhaustible, with this huge, huge sense of humor and when people talk about my mom in history they talk about her as this like great leader that was up on a pedestal and so daunting and when people talk about my grandmother they laugh and they say oh my goodness that Molly Todd she had such a wicked sense of humor and my my grandmother's ability to just be human and Cranky and confused and contradictory, or like, like slightly, you know, not very proper in some instances. I mean, she lived till she was ninety-six, and she was doing her activism till she was ninety-four, and part of that was because she didn't, she didn't put that strain on herself of being perfect. We're, we're not special. We're not at all. It's just like human beings who stumble along. I think it's our surety that gets us into trouble, not our doubt. Our doubt makes us more thoughtful.
0: Lesson 4. Treat it all as practice. Take the 10,000 year view and teach your kids to make their own damn dinner. In the fall of 2014, Pia participated in a large, ongoing protest camp to prevent geotechnical surveying for an oil pipeline expansion in our region. There was so much going on at the time, so many ways to be involved, but she brought something very specific that invited the protesters to contemplate time and themselves differently.
1: So for example at Burnaby Mountain last year, you know, my practice at Burnaby Mountain and I literally think of it as a practice. I I think about like okay, it's Monday. How do I engage today? Can take a whole variety of different forms. My practice at Burnaby Mountain because I love tea and I grow my own tea was just to go up to Burnaby Mountain with a big thermos and little cups and a little tray, and basically do tiny little tea service for people. Just slow them down enough that they could have a little cup of tea and chat about whatever. Or not chat, just have a really good cup of Japanese tea. I think it's very important to have a very long range view of time. The longer. The a view of time that you can have the more you can step back the more humor you can find and the less urgent it becomes when you're very urgent it's very hard to get things done because that urgency just gets in the way it's like your prefrontal cortex goes offline when you know we need to not only be have our prefrontal cortex totally loaded but we also need to be listening to everything around us and connecting with everything around us and you can't do that if you're feeling rushed and urgent so you know if you think about it units of like 10,000 years then all of a sudden really things aren't that dire I mean still you still you have to do feed your kids dinner or they get mad at you but It's always good to teach them how to make their own damn dinner.
0: Lesson five, welcome grief as the great heart extender.
1: I think a really important part about being grounded in this work is about allowing that grief, the space that it needs i think a lot of the fear that people feel is the fear that that grief would overpower them and then that they would just fall into some dark pit and never be able to crawl out and they spend so much time and energy that fear like trying to keep that grief away from themselves i mean there are people in my own family who i feel like they've spent their entire lives trying to like quiet that fear in themselves or keep it under lock and key and never show it and the true fact of the matter is it's only when you accept that grief right into your heart it's the great billy holiday song good morning heartache sit down when you make space for that grief you realize this is an enormous, enormous source, an enormous depth. It's like a wellspring of love. It's, it's not something to fear at all. It's something that makes you stronger. It's something that makes you more compassionate. It just it opens up your heart. It's like making your heart vulnerable, allowing your heart to be ripped wide open. Your heart just gets bigger.
0: Lesson six, choose the story you tell about what it all means. Sometimes I feel like we're in one of those Hollywood movies that have always seemed kind of overwrought to me where there's forces of good and forces of evil and they fight for the fate of the world. But sometimes, especially lately, I feel like I'm part of those movies. And of course, I'm on the side of good and I'm losing. And I look longingly at other time periods in history. I have this idea that there was a time before we faced a climate spiraling out of control or oceans filled with large and microscopic pieces of plastic choking up the food chain. And sometimes the story that I tell myself all looks pretty bleak. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Pia has a different perspective.
1: I feel so thrilled to be alive at this point in human history. Like people say, wow, it's so terrifying. And I'm like, no, there's never been a more thrilling moment to be a human being. We all have ringside seats to the revolution or the big changes that are happening. A lot of people ask me if I'm afraid. and. Yes, I worry about things, but I'm not afraid. Um, first of all, I'm not afraid for the world. I really think that the struggle will go on and the more light that's shown on it, the more we have these activist tools, our ability to communicate, The closer we get to justice. And a lot of painful things are going to happen along the way. But there's so many people that are engaged. There's so many people that are part of it. It's not that you have to win every single battle. Like part of the joy of this is unbelievable people that you get to meet the incredibly courageous committed loving people and you get to spend your life around those people like what a better way to spend a life it's pretty joyous
0: hey friends Do you call yourself an activist? Why or why not? Has any of that changed since listening to this episode? Do you feel like we have ringside seats to the revolution? Or do you feel like we're hanging on to the edge of the great unraveling? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Send us a note. You can find us on Twitter and through our website, bigbrightdark.org. Also, a big thank you to Pia Massey, who shared her heart, her time, and her stories with us. You can catch all our upcoming episodes by subscribing through Stitcher and iTunes. Until next time, I'm Olive Dempsey, and this has been the Big Bright Dark Podcast. We are produced and dreamed up by myself, by Jana Graisley, Heather Talbot, Christina Kuhn, Justine Townsend, and Erica Crawford. Original theme music is by Mark Beattie, and additional music in this episode is thanks to Lobo Loco. We acknowledge that Big Bright Dark is produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Squamish, tsleil and Musqueam peoples.